the vision of Obadiah. We're just going to read through it in the beginning, and I'll comment as we go, and then we'll make some applications. Uh, we are working through the Bible. Um, our hope is that by the end of these five years, you have the story, so that when you come to a particular part, that it relates to the rest. Um, right now, specifically, we're in the Minor Prophets. Let's see, what have we done? We've done Hosea. In Hosea, we learned about God that, uh, that he hurts uh, for us when we reject him. Uh, but he loves us deeply. And no matter how much we reject him or how far we get from him, uh, he will always seek us out and redeem us back to himself. Uh, not only that, in Joel, we learned that he, he doesn't just want to be with us, but he wants to be in us and sharing his ministry with us. Uh, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And uh, he lets us in on what's going on so that we can uh, participate in it. And then Amos, I think we learned that, that if we really love God and know his mercy and his goodness and his justice, uh, then we'll be walking that out in the earth, extending that. And that's part of what we learned in Obadiah, I think. So we're going to go through Obadiah tonight. It's one chapter long. How many of y'all did get to read it? Obadiah. You know, it, it takes three minutes and 38 seconds to read it. Uh, so if you, no, seriously, that's how long it takes my Logos program to read it to me. And so if you want to just read through it while I'm uh, getting started here, feel free to, uh, so that you know what's going on. But I am going to be reading it too. So um, the vision of Obadiah, it's not a prophecy, it's a vision. It's something that he saw. Um, and... Uh, he says, this is what I saw concerning Edom. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's prophesying to Edom, but he had this vision about it. So whoever's listening to, to his explanation of the vision, that's who's getting it, okay? And uh, we've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, rise up, let us rise against her for battle. And so Obadiah sees... Uh, uh, in this vision, somehow he, he, he hears that a messenger has been sent out to countries that surround Edom. And the messenger is saying, rise up for battle. Let's go and let's destroy Edom. And then to Edom he says, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. And then it says, the pride of your heart has deceived you who live in the clefts of the rocks in your lofty dwelling. Has anybody ever seen that picture of Petra? Uh, it's now in Jordan. Raise your hand if you've seen that picture of Petra. It's now in Jordan. It's a, it's a, you, you probably have seen it and just didn't know it was Petra, but it's a, it looks like the front of a building carved into a rock. There's several of them. But there was this village up there. This is the area of Edom. Now, uh, we don't believe the Edomites built those or carved those uh, buildings into the rock, but that's the area. And it's a high area up across in, in Jordan, across the river, and it's very, very high up, and it's so fortified. In order to get there, you can't take a car there. You have to take a horse uh, between the mountains, and it's just a very, very, for, especially for when you didn't have missiles that you could lob over the, the mountains, uh, there, there was, it was almost impervious. They, they said that an army of 12 people uh, could guard that from 
uh, a full army because there was a hole. You know, as wide as this um, aisle for you to come through. And if you couldn't get through that, you couldn't get into the city. And so they thought, man, we are set. Nobody can take us down. But this messenger is saying, look, it's your pride. It's your arrogance. You think nobody can get to you, but you haven't met God yet. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So here's the first thing that God says. You're proud and you're arrogant and you're lifted up and you think nobody can get to you. Hey, even though like the eagle you soar above the rest, uh, you're going to be brought down. That's the first thing. Then he goes on. And not only talking about their military might or their, their ability to withstand attack, he goes on in verse 5, and he says, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? You have to read it through a few times to understand what he's saying here, but he's saying, you know, if you only had been robbed by robbers they'd have probably left a little bit for you. And then it goes on, if grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If people had come and taken your grapes, they would have left some for you. I mean, people might be thieves, but they're, they're decent, you know. It's kind of like when they go through my neighborhood and, and check the car doors to see if they're open. If it's open, they'll just take your money, your guns, and your drugs. And everything else, though, they'll leave. They don't just take everything. They, you know... They know you need the other stuff, and, and they leave it. Um, but it says, though, but how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures thought out. In other words, they've gone through and they've taken, they've taken your registration. They've taken your extra set of keys. They've taken your spare tire. That You are totally depleted. All of this wealth you have because you're such an amazing location, they've taken it from you. All your allies have driven you to your border, and those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. In other words, those people who are supposed to be in relationship with you, they've set a trap for you, and you have no understanding. Guys, you're in trouble. You've been trusting in your ability to hide behind these rocks. You're coming down. You're pretty wealthy because of, of the technology that you've invented to live here and to cause it to be a, a green place up in a high mountain. But guess what? Somebody's going to come and take all that. And then it goes on, and here's the third one. Will I not, verse 8, in that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So, not only do you have technology and stuff, not only do you have a great fort, but you've got men who understand tactics. You have men who understand how to organize. You have great craftsmen, but guess what? They are going to be taken away from you. 
And as I was reading through this, I thought, you know, this, this sounds familiar. It, it sounds really familiar. And, you know, Obadiah may have been prophesying about the same time as Jeremiah, but at any rate, he, he, he knew Jeremiah's prophecy. And look what Jeremiah says. And this is one of my favorite. I, I think the reason I saw this is because this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Turn it there in your Bible if you got it. This is a great chapter. It's the chapter that ta talks about your heart and how we need to have God come and search out our heart. Um, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so what, if, if, if you were just going to boil it down that first section, what would you say is going to be taken away from them? Sort of their military might. And then the second part would be the thieves would take their wealth. And then, um, then the last part would be, you know, their wise men. Here's Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord... Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. And let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. That's the outline right there. God is coming against them where in their pride they have trusted in their riches, their wealth, and their might. And so he's going to attack them in the very places that in their heart they had not known God, but they'd lived to something else. They'd lived to the blessing that they had been given. And they exalted that above God himself. So he's pretty clear in warning us not to trust in our own strength of any sort. Jeremiah is. And um, it goes on down, uh, well, actually before uh, chapter 29, verse 17, chapter 17 of Jeremiah. Um, that's another place that I like to go to, but let me just read this part. Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. He goes on and says, that guy's going to be like somebody who, who is one of these bramble bushes. He actually calls it a heath uh, in the desert. And when the rain comes, he will not see it. So these people up in Edom, they were trusting in, in these things, and God said, I'm going to bring you down. You're going to get wiped out. You're going to be left destitute and foolish. And so... Why? Why is God going to do this? That's, that's, I mean, what, what if somebody started talking to you and said, you know, word's going around that you're going to get robbed. <laughs> you're going to get taken into captivity. And, uh, and you're going to go stupid. Th th that would worry me. And I, I would want to know why. Why is God going to do this to these guys? Well, Going to verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and shall be cut off forever. So Edom has, has had this interaction with Jacob. 
Now, to me, this is like reading a Russian journal or a, Ru a Russian novel. Everybody has three names, and they keep switching them. So, so, just, so just so you got it, Edom is also Esau, okay? Edom and Esau are the same. Jacob is also Judah. But Jacob used to be Israel. But you can't say Israel because Israel became the northern tribes and they went into captivity. Does that make sense? I'd probably say it three or four times, but, but, but here's the short of it. Edom, they are the descendants of Esau. And the descendants of Esau live across the Jordan River in Edom. And Jacob is Judah, <laughs> the southern tribes. And they are having interactions with the southern tribes. And here's what's going on. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth. And so when strangers came, another nation. Now, you can't really place Obadiah. A lot of people believe it is when Babylon came, but some believe it that it's in another place. It really doesn't matter to understand the, the heart of what the Spirit of God is trying to, to preserve by giving us this one, uh, this one page, this one chapter prophet. When they came and they took the wealth from, <laughs> now I've mixed myself up, from Judah, from Jacob, you were aloof. You kind of just watched them do it. Verse 12. Do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. So in other words, they were tempted to gloat. <laughs> yeah, you got yours, buddy. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Look what God is doing to them. <laughs> he's destroying them. He's, he's, he, he's letting their stuff get taken away. People are coming in and, and, and destroying them. Number four, do you see how this is sort of the converse of what God's going to do to them? It's sort of ironic, you know. What they've done to Israel, God has already said he's going to do to them. Four, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth. And so now, not only are they standing aloof and letting it happen and watching it go on, but they're going down and they're looking around to see if anything's left. <laughs> and they're grabbing the leftovers. Do not loot his wealth. Verse 14, And do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. And do not hand over. Not only that, but now they've gotten in on the game. They are standing at the at the entrances to the to the cities, and as people are trying to get away, they're catching them, and they're turning them over into this invading country. And so, basically, though, this story is not just a typical story. Why have they chosen Edom? Why, why don't they talk about Moab? Why, why don't we have just one? Now, remember back in Isaiah, we had prophecies to different specific nations. But here we have one book, Obadiah to one nation. 
Well, first of all, it's a, it's a story about two brothers. You remember who Edom is, right? Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? Remember their original story? Uh, Abraham was promised that he would be a blessing to all the nations. He has a son, Isaac. He passes the blessing on to him. And then Isaac uh, uh, has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, and now, I, I, was, I, I was trying to bounce some things off of Brenda. And anytime you mention this, questions are going to come up. So, so let's set the questions aside. Raise your hand if you have a question. And I'll say, can you please set that aside, Mike, or anybody uh, that would have a question? And, um, uh, but so Jacob had uh, the blessing and the birthright. Esau got a blessing, but he didn't get the birthright. And so now you have these two brothers in the story. This is the story. See, they are both descendants of Abraham. But one is blessed, and they're given a land. He's given Edom. But the other, Jacob, is given the land that is Israel, right? And so this sets up an animosity between these two brothers. Now, have you ever seen animosity between two brothers before? How about the first two brothers? Adam wasn't a brother. He had two sons. They were brothers. There was animosity there. How about Joseph? Any animosity there? Yeah. How about Moses and Aaron? Was there ever animosity there? Who died and left you king? All the way through. How about Jesus and his brothers and sisters? Any animosity there? Yeah, over and over and over. This is, uh, this is a sort of a perennial. It's sort of the way sin goes. When people are trusting in their flesh, when they're trusting in their ability, when they're trusting in uh, their wealth and they take their eyes off of God, then it begins to disrupt the relationship between each other, and now we begin to uh, chuck, and, uh, chuck and jive so that we can use our wealth, our ability, to get ahead of the person next to us. And there's something unique about the way it goes on between brothers, brothers and sisters, families. And so this book is addressing it in the context of the lineage of these two brothers, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It's been going on for 1,000 years. So this book is very much about a family who gets into conflict, and then they get jealous and prideful, and they get into the, to these uh, battles to take one another's stuff. God calls this vengeance. Over in Ezekiel... Thus says the Lord God, because that Edom hath dealt against the house of Judah by taking vengeance, and has greatly offended and revenged himself upon them. Then he goes on and says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, and this is again, it's in Ezekiel chapter 25, 12, 13, and 14. I also stretch out mine hand upon Edom and will cut off man and beast from it, and I will make it desolate from Teman. And they of Dedan shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger, 
and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, says the Lord God. Again, the irony of the way God gets involved. Edom has been angry and vengeful all along, and here in the end, when other countries come, they allow their vengeance to rise up and join together with that country and destroy the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And God says, guess what? Now my vengeance is going to come against you, and I will utterly destroy you. I, I hope you catch that irony. So, Jacob and Esau have been going at it. At, at, you may remember uh, that, that Jacob fled after he got the, the blessing and the birthright, and then he's in great fear when he comes back. And then he settles, Esau moves off to Edom, and then Jacob has sons, and what happens? They go into captivity, remember? And then they become a nation, and they leave, and they go out into the wilderness. Well, guess what? When they leave, and they go back out into the wilderness, and they're traveling, remember they came through Mount Sinai, through the peninsula, and they came up where? They came up through right at the edge of, you got it, Edom. And so they get in touch with the brothers and they say, hey guys, listen, we're not going to take anything. We just need to follow the King's Highway. The King's Highway was a, uh, a, a connection between uh, north of Israel and down in Egypt where people travel. And they said, look, we'll go and if we drink any water or anything, we'll pay you for it. And the Edomites said, no. And they said, yeah, but... But we're not going to take anything. We just need to get through here so we can get to our promised land. And out of bitterness, out of vengeance, they said no. And they brought out an army and put it on the border and said, you can't come through here. And then if you look in the book of Psalms during the time of kings when they were writing Psalms, I think I wrote one down. Let me see, see if I have it. Um, yeah, Psalm 60, verse 8. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. And so you'll find a lot of mentions of Edom in the, in the different Psalms because there's this battle that's always going on. And here in the end, when Judah is taken into captivity, Edom sees their chance, and they jump in and they take it. And it gets us a... Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done it again, it shall be done to you. It's the day of the Lord. We've not, we've not talked about the day of the Lord very much. All the prophets talk about it. It's some distant event. And you all know that I'm, I'm not one for trying to pin down too specifically uh, the, the things that are going to surround that. Um, but on that day, the Lord is going to make everything right. See, here we are. Judah has been taken into captivity. Edom has lifted themselves up. God says, be careful, because it's coming. And then in, in verse 15, it says, the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. So there's two things going on. You've got this... You've got this um, vengeance that God is going to take on his, on his enemies, 
But you've also got the coming of the kingdom. You've got the destruction of those who have come in vengeance against the people of God. But you also, then you're going to have the people of God coming into the fullness of what God had intended for them from the beginning. So we make a real switch here. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. In other words, you guys are going to drink the cup of wrath and be destroyed. You jumped in when everybody was coming against the people of God. But in the day of the Lord, guess what? The people of God are going to be restored. And I think as we read down through here, we're going to see not only they're going to be restored to what had been given them, but what had been given to Edom is going to be given to them as well. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. So again, it's talking about this family and the restoration to Joseph, these brothers who had been uh, oppressed by their siblings. It says they are going to become a fire. And what is the house of Esau going to become? Or what's Edom going to become? Stubble. These brothers that were destroyed are going to come back as a fire. And what's their fuel going to be? Esau, the evil. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So, we look forward to the day of the Lord, and he is going to come, and every injustice he is going to make right. Every, every unloving thing, every oppressive thing, every powerful thing that's, that's, that's governed in pride, in the day of the Lord... It is, all of those questions are going to be answered because the Lord himself is going to descend and he is going to make those things right. But not only is he going to make those things right, let's just read the rest of it real quick. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. The Negeb is, is sort of the southern part of Judah. And those of the Shephelah, which that's on down toward Egypt, shall possess the land of the Philistines. So now, not only are they, are they being restored, but they're getting these lands that had been held by other people. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, which is Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel, all those people that had gone into uh, captivity with the help of Edom, shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shephar, Shepharad, that could be Spain, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount 
Esau. Hello. People that are called saviors, deliverers, they are going to go up, back up into those mountains, and they are going to rule there, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So this is what's going on. In the earth right now, there's a battle. There's vengeance. There's anger. There's, there's uh, uh, bitterness toward people who are doing well because of God's blessing. And this bitterness is, is rooted in Satan himself because, in a sense, he was one of the sons of God. And he wanted to rule instead of Jesus. But God chose Jesus, and it made the devil mad. And so the devil wants to take away the glory of God the Father and the Son and make it his own. And so what's going on in the flesh is, is it's, it's empowered by satanic powers that want to bring down the household of God. But there will be saviors who go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. So everything in the world, everything that the people of God have ruled will be restored. But ultimately, the whole world is going to be filled with saviors, deliverers, people who bring justice and righteousness and mercy, and everything's going to be okay. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Again, the irony there is just inescapable. Esau came, and he took all of Jerusalem, and he thought he had it. Israel did go into captivity, but Israel's going to come back, and not only are they going to take Israel, they're going to have Edom as well. People of God, Jesus is coming back. And not only are we going to rule the places that we've extended the kingdom to, but when he comes back, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and his saviors, his redeemed, shall go into all the world and up into the mountains, and they shall rule, and the whole world will be the Lord's. That's the story of Obadiah. It's the story of, of, of heaven and the rebellion by one son. It's the story of Adam and the rebellion by one son. It's the story of all the sons in the Old Testament. And ultimately, it's going to come back to something, the day of the Lord. And he's going to deal with that thing that causes men to want to rule over other men in injustice. And there is going to be a government in the earth where everything is made right. That's Obadiah. All right. So, some applications. Any, any questions about that? No? All right. So here, here, here's a few applications that, that I came up with. I think I have four. Hope, hopefully you'll have some. First, it helps us realize that injustices are going to happen. <clears throat> that spirit of Satan, that spirit of Edom is in the world. It's going to happen until Jesus returns and sets up the kingdom there will be old offenses. People will be bound up in hurt and unforgiveness. And they will be trying to make them right in their own strength, in their own wealth, in their own wisdom. That's going to go on. Injustices will be around 
until Jesus comes back. Second, though, in the midst of all of that hurt and pain and confusion, G-O-D, God. We live with Edomites all around us. But God is moving all of history to the point where he puts a final end to all injustice, all hurt, and all pain. And in that day, he will destroy those who have destroyed his people, and he will restore to his people a hundredfold what they lost. So we don't know the exact dates of Obadiah. We only know the facts that are listed. We're not sure what the larger country is that invaded Israel at this time, but it's safe to say that this vision of what was going to happen to Edom was given to Judah at a time when they needed to understand what was going on. They were being or had been invaded. Their brother Edom had joined in the invasion, and they did not see the justice in this. So two things. First thing, it helps us realize that injustices are going to happen. It's been the story. But the second thing is, in the midst of all of that, God is going to show up. In the midst of living a life in this world where we can't control the powers, God's going to show up. And ultimately, he is going to make everything right. And so, three or four ways to live into this. First, we acknowledge that we have been unjust and surrender to the only just ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of all this chaos and everything going wrong, you've got to stop and say, it's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's very easy to be in that, that, that mix of, of finger-pointing and and excuses, the reason I'm this way is because he's that way, or the reason I'm this way is because she's that way. But you got to stop, <laughs> and you got to realize that somewhere along the way, you were captured by that spirit of sibling rivalry, that spirit of, of, of murder that wanted to tear everybody down for one reason, to build yourself up. And you just got to stop and say, it was me. I've treated others wrongly, and I deserve the vengeance of God. But hallelujah, Christ has suffered the great injustice so that I can be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. Yes, it's going on. It will go on. But God is orchestrating right in the middle of it, and it's going to end in the day of the Lord, and he will sort it all out then. What do we do? Well, the first thing is we say, hmm, I'm an Edomite, <laughs> and I need to repent. And I need to find the grace of God. And I need to have him come in and begin to work in me so I don't gloat over hurt in other people. So I don't take what belongs to others. 
So I don't think I'm so wise that when I analyze a situation, it's always analyzed with me at the center. Oh, God, I am unjust. I have lived in a way that is hurtful to other people. Number two, then we relinquish our right to vengeance and release every person who has ever sinned against us. Unjustice is going to keep going on. But you can't wreak vengeance. One of the true fruits of repentance is forgiveness. Not only to people who have hurt you in the past, but moment by moment, people who cut you off in traffic, bosses who schedule you when you told them not to schedule you. I'm going to quit giving examples right there. This is a story of family rivalry. Oddly enough, some of our greatest injustices take place in the family. But it is by the grace of God that we don't hold those people in contempt. It's going on. God's in the middle of it. First of all, you were part of it. Second of all, now that you've received forgiveness, forgive other people. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. How many of y'all are happy that mercy triumphs over judgment? How many of you deserve the vengeance of the Lord? Hallelujah. How many of you all are glad? Well, I'm going to let Matt ask you if you're glad about that one. Number three, speaking of faith in God, we look forward to the day that God comes and makes all things right. We believe the return of Jesus Christ. At the end of Obadiah, he says, okay, Israel, you need to know what's going on. And yes, you know you're going to go into this problem. And yes, you know that Edom's doing it. But oh, hang on. Jesus is coming back. Every time I say that, I think of that, that, uh, that bumper sticker. Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he mad. <laughs> he is mad, and he's going to come back. The Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. He is going to come back in vengeance. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So, James 5, 8, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. A lot of people thought, well, when I get saved, everybody's going to love me. Everything's going to go my way. I'm going to have peace, meaning my self-centered satisfaction. 
You're not going to have that. But God is working in the midst of it all to extend mercy through you, to extend his kingdom through you. And as you live in the midst of it, you got to remember this. Jesus is coming back. And it's worth every injustice you bear. It's worth every uh, ounce of energy that you put into loving the unlovely. It's worth every time someone slaps you on one cheek to turn the other. It's worth every time it happens to be February when somebody asks you for your coat. And son of a gun, you have to give them your cloak also. It's worth it. Why? Because Jesus is going to come back. And this, this means very little compared to eternity. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Oh, hallelujah. And this is not even a sermon uh, at, at a graveside. I wrote this. I, I, one of the greatest tragedies of our time is that people are looking for a sense of psychological comfort rather than sure faith in God in the midst of turmoil. For too many people, the measure of God's presence has been how they feel. The true measure of God's presence is God's presence. And that is based in faith. God is at work. He followed Edom all the way through. He followed Israel into captivity. And he made them a promise. And he is keeping it throughout history. And they will be restored. And they will be established. And we join together with them as the kingdom of God will enjoy his presence forever. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to read some verses. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's when he was talking to Joshua. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the one that a lot of people know from Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Folks, we are in the middle of it. But the story has been written already. And the end is the return of the Lord. We have been unjust. But we've repented. In our repentance, rather than wreaking vengeance on people that have done us wrong, we have forgiven them. In the midst of this, we know that we're not going to have the kind of peace that the world can give but it's a kind of peace that the world cannot take away. And here's the fourth thing. I think there's only four. So here we are in the middle of it. Until he comes back, what do we do? We do justice. And he called his ten servants 
and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. It's going on. We're in the middle of it. But he's coming back. He is a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows. That's God in his holy habitation. He's shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? This is another prophet, Micah, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Everybody knows James 127. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the Father. I am glad that I am Judah and not Edom. In their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Zechariah 7, 9. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassion, every man to his brother. Brent, did you get that? That's Zechariah 7, 9. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free? and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from thy own flesh. Not only do we forgive those who have wronged us, but we seek out where people have been oppressed, and, and, and they live in injustice. And we work now to bring the justice that one day is going to be complete. It's the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. And let's remember Christ. He went through a dark hour. Although he was just, he was treated unjustly. But rather than doubt God or call out angels to do the right thing, and you can come on up, we're going to do communion. The Bible says that he could have called angels. He did not have to do it that way. It's, it's interesting in uh, Brothers Karamazov, the big temptation for Jesus uh, actually came there when Satan said, Look, Jesus, I will go ahead and give you this piece of land if you'll just worship me. You won't have to go through all the pain and agony of the cross, but just worship me. And I'll give it to you. If Jesus had done that, we would have been slaves to the devil. The devil, the brother, the rebellious brother, wanted to take the people of God and enslave them to do his bidding. Oh, but our elder brother Jesus... <laughs> Therefore, since, come on down, Matt. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the injustice, of the cross but actually it was justice <laughs> despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand 
of God the Father. Hallelujah. God knew in the Old Testament that cycle of failure was going to be broken. But it could only be broken when one person was willing to suffer injustice so that mercy could triumph. And um, that happened right here in this table. What we talked about tonight, what we enjoy, is because of Jesus. Matt? Amen. The Word of God is good, isn't it? Will you say amen? Amen. We're going to take communion together, and we're going to celebrate Jesus and what he did on the cross. And what I want to do as we prepare is connect some ideas about Jesus from the book of, I can't even say the word, Obadiah, for you. So I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. It says, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually, and they will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. So what is this idea of drinking here? This is what I want to talk about as we get ready for communion. So he's talking about the day of the Lord, and one of the things that we see in this book is that the nation of Edom receives a great judgment for their pride and their hatred of their brother. That's the day of the Lord. One day Jesus, God, is going to come and he's going to judge. There's a switch that happens here in 15 and 16. He says, just as you, Edom, were judged by God and destroyed off the face of the earth for what you did to Israel or to Judah, so it's going to be done with all of the nations on the day of judgment. If you listen to the Bible project, there's an interesting connection between the name Edom and the name Adam. Adam means all of mankind, man. There's something similar here between the nation of Edom and all of mankind. And it's this, that all of mankind for their pride and their hatred of their brother are going to be judged. And it says here that they're going to drink and they're going to drink and they're going to drink out of this cup. This is a cup of judgment. And I want to let you know that throughout the Old Testament, through all of the prophets, through the Psalms, we see this idea that God is preparing this cup of judgment. Here's one verse out of Psalm 75, 8. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours from his cup and all the wicked of the earth drink it to the dregs. In Jeremiah 25, 15, he says that there's going to be a cup of the wine of the wrath of God. You see, you and I, just like the Edomites, have walked in pride and we've walked in hatred towards our brother. And because of that, there's this cup of God's judgment that he's prepared that no one is going to escape, right? Like there's thieves that miss things. God's not going to miss one thing. He's not going to miss one thing. And all who sin are going to drink of this cup of judgment. Well, here's the good news. I'm going to take you to Luke 22:42. Do you remember this? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
something crazy that Jesus did when he went and he suffered on the cross. He did that for us. And you know what he did? He didn't reject that cup, but he took the cup. That cup of wrath, all of the wrath that God has been storing up for you and for me, that cup of wrath that you and I were supposed to drink. And when Jesus died on the cross, he drank that cup of wrath for you and me. And we don't have to drink it. And that is the free gift of what Jesus did on the cross when his body was broken and his blood was poured out. He suffered that wrath for us. Amen. So as we come and we take this meal together, we're remembering that Jesus, he drank the cup for us. And that is awesome. I'm going to pray and then we'll eat together. Lord Jesus, we thank, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you did not reject the cup, but that you went and that you suffered for us. And then now, God, when we believe and we put our, our trust and our hope and our faith and we turn from sin, and Jesus, we make you Lord, we don't have that day of judgment to look forward to, but we have life in you with the Father. And now, God, we as your church, we come together and we declare this thing, that Jesus, what you did on the cross, has the power over death, and it frees us from judgment to live in relationship with our Father. And we, we just say this publicly together as we eat your body that was broken and we, we drink your blood that was poured out for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to welcome you to come. Uh,